She was a funny woman who could really read. She ate her books for breakfast and her name was Mead. She had a brain just like a sponge. When information went in, it was hard to expunge. She does a podcast now, her skills to reassert. She's the speedy, reedy podcast girl of Instant Expert. Hello everyone and welcome to the second ever episode of Instant Expert. I'm your host, Chris Mead, uh, and also your interviewer extraordinaire, or at least interviewer mediocre is that a word mediocre yeah i don't think it is um no it's not but you can be whatever you like my love because i believe in you thank you sitting opposite me is my muse my wonder my my only one uh mrs laura mead thank you um, couldn't ask for a better introduction than that, could you? And the instant expert of the title of the podcast, aren't you? Yes. We've had a really nice response to the first episode. Yes, thank you all so much for getting back to us and telling us which bits you liked. Some of you took the time to tell me in great detail what suggestions you would like me to do. And therefore, I won't be able to do them because now I've heard them already and I already have been thinking of things. So it has to be a surprise. So if you're going to get in touch with us in the future, make sure you don't disclose the thing you'd like me to talk about to me. You can tell Chris instead. You can talk to me. That would be lovely. Um, And we have got some feedback and we are going to change things immediately. So one of the things we're going to change is you may recall in the first episode, Laura had two sides of A4 paper. A paltry amount. Well, yes, but the listeners, they want less. They want you to be doing even more mental acrobatics. And so we are reducing the amount of paper you can use to one side of an... One side? Yes, that's right. One side of an eight inch by five inch revision card. Do you want me to just sound like a nincompoop? Yes, that is sort of the concept of the podcast that we set you up to be a nincompoop. What about and learning then you rise fun above facts? It. Fun and interesting facts to educate and such. Well, that's it though. You remember it all, so it'll be fine. So you just need to put um, aide de memoirs. Oh, blimey. On your card. Do you accept the challenge? Okay, look, look. I'll try it this week. Okay. On one side of one itsy-bitsy card. It's a giant card. It is smaller than A4. It's it's A5, I would say. Small. <laughs> we'll see how we go. And if it, if it do not work... Yeah, you can use both sides again. Then next time, I will upgrade. We'll find the sweet spot. My co-host. No, how could I even do that? I couldn't at all. What? I couldn't upgrade my co-host. Oh, I thought you were referring to me as your sweet spot. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I like like how you took it. That's better. So, some more things that we learned from last week. Firstly, there was no point pretending sort of presenting you with a bunch of different options but because by the time we put the episode out the title says what the thing is so there's no point pretending it's going to be a bunch of other things it's better for me to just tell you what it's going to be i will say uh, will you still give me a choice of three no but what if i already know the thing that you've picked then you'll find out more about it Ooh. so here we go you could have had left-handedness Oh, that would have been good. You could have had free will. 
You could Most even intriguing. have had the solo career of Ringo Starr. <laughs> but you're going to have Thomas. N- you're going to have none of those things. Okay. For you, Laura Mead, star of Instant Expert, are going to tell us all about bees. <gasps> Thank you. That's great. I think that's a really beautiful suggestion. It is by Emily Jenick. She made the suggestion. That's the one I've chosen. You're going to tell us all you can about bees in just one hour. I am so excited. We're all excited, Laura. We're all excited. That's brilliant. Thank you, Emily. What a lovely thing for me to get to talk to about. Oh, oh, I cannot wait. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to What's the Buzz? Tell me what's happening. (laughs) Uh, When do we ride into Jerusalem? Very good. Jesus Christ Superstar reference. All the best podcasts have a cool Andrew Lloyd Webber reference near the beginning. (laughs) Oh, no. No, that's true. They do not. No, they they really don't. So an hour has passed, and you are now a bee expert. Well, yes. Yes, that is the premise of the podcast. You are now... A bee expert. Uh, But am I an expert on all things bee, you might ask yourself? I do ask myself that question, yes. And I'll tell you what the answer is. Okay. Well, like most experts, I've chosen to consolidate my knowledge into a very, very small portion of the bee field. Right. Is that what it's called, the bee field? Well, no, no. I would have said one cell of the honeycomb. Uh, so this is this is um, this is very important because there are twenty five thousand species of bee in the world. Right. Yes. I could have gone into the structure of the bees, uh, the the monarchy of bees, which was first discussed by Aristotle. The bee society. The bee society, because right. they are very very social animals. Um, they have different divisions between queen, worker, and drone, and even within the worker class, there are sort of nursemaids and security guards and cleaners and all sorts of things like that. I could have really gone into colony collapse disorder, which is one of the biggest threats facing our food production as a species. Um, something like ninety percent of bees in some areas have died out, and. and there are different reasons for that. There's the varroa mite. There's something called brood. Um, Foul brood, which is a problem in American hives. They are not very good when they're exposed to heavy metals. There's something called different. No one's good wing. when they're exposed to heavy metals. Um, other than Jack Black, he likes heavy metals. You're right. Um, they've also got deformed wing virus is plaguing some hives. But I thought, no, I won't go into that. Then I thought, can I? could I maybe do a bit of a thing about honey? And that led me to... Some of some interesting facts about honey. Did you know to make a kilogram of honey, a bee would have to visit two million flowers or uh, no, half a kilogram of honey. They would have to visit two million flowers and fly the equivalent of three times around the globe. Well, Loz, that's a lot of flowers. It's a lot of flowers. But so this interesting fact about honey led me to look at some of the properties of honey. And from there, 
I discovered my specialism. So, honey is the only food that contains something called pinocembrin. That's an antioxidant and it's associated with improved brain function. What is an antioxidant, Loz? An antioxidant is something that reduces the amount of oxidisation, which can deteriorate the quality of something. Oh, right. Because I was, I was always thinking about that, and I was like, but surely oxygen is good for us. Yes, yes, but oxidisation is not. It can, it's the uh, deterioration of something when exposed to oxygen or the air. Like when uh, copper gets all green. E, that's verdigris. So, oh. But there will be interesting, uh, there's an association between bees, copper, and my subject, which I will come to later. Ooh. Very exciting. I know you can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. Okay, so I decided I would really look into bee brains. How do bees think? And um, with a particular focus on bees sleeping. Right? Okay. So we're bee, bee sleep is Sleepy what we're going to talk about. And bee brains. But let me, I mean, I'm, I feel like I need to interview here. So I, I've got some questions lined up. So we're going to okay. start at the beginning. And the first question is, what is a bee? A bee is an invertebrate. Right. What's, what's an invertebrate? It's a species that doesn't have a spine. <laughs> I know people like that. Oh. <laughs> so, I mean, what, what distinguishes a bee from any other animal? I mean, th these are all very, very basic questions. I know, but that this is this is the podcast. You know, it's that you try and get as ex as experts as bees as possible, and then I ask you about bees. No, no, you, no, no. That's too, I'm not gonna, too broad. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and just and just have you lecture me on bees. Okay, I a have bee to be... is a use a eusocial species of insect that mm -hmm. typically lives in a colony. Although there are solitary bees, yeah. the common honeybee. Uh, they're from the Apis order. And kind of monkey? No, no, no. Apis is from a uh, flower. Apiary. Apiary. Yes, is what where you. A beehive. Bees. That's right. An artificial beehive. Apiculture, the practice of keeping bees. The great ape? No, I've gone back to monkeys again. They are the only. Well, apes aren't monkeys. They are the only insect that produces something regularly consumed as food by humans. Yes. I'm and trying they, to think of another one now. They, uh, they pollinate and fertilise over a hundred different species of regularly eaten, commercially grown foodstuffs. Well, thank you very much for giving us an overview of bees. Of bees. Now back to bee brains. <laughs> so there was a fella who was a beekeeper in 1983. His name was Walter Kaiser. The Germans are very hot on bees, you'll discover as we move through this. Um, and he discovered that honeybees sleep. Sure. So, what doesn't happens... seem like a big revelation to me. Well, I mean, I I assume that bees sleep, so I knew did that. Did you? I I just knew that. Do you know how a bee falls asleep? Yes, closes its eyes. N interesting, because obviously people originally thought that sleeping with the eyes shut was reserved only for mammals, but this is how a bee sleeps because they don't have eyelids, of course. What do you mean, of course? You keep saying, of course. Most people don't know this stuff. What that bee bees doesn't don't have, have eyelids? eyelids. Well, I didn't know that. I. All the bees that I've seen in cartoons have eyelids. <laughs> I do love you. So what happens is their legs sort of flex a bit 
so that their little head can come down and lie on the floor. Sure. And then their antennae stop wiggling around. They cover their eyes with their antennae. No, no, no. They just stop like moving them. Okay. Because they're very, very tactile creatures. They like to feel each other. They like to feel each other with their feet and with their antennae. And then sometimes if they're really, really tired, they fall over sideways and they might grab hold of each other's legs and give each other a little cuddle as they sleep. Oh, that's nice. Isn't that cute? Is that all classes of bees? Will drones just cuddle drones? Do you ever get anyone spooning with the queen is what I'm asking, I guess. Well, I mean, the drones will be getting down, getting dirty with the queen. So, I mean, there could be some spooning She's happening She's going to sleep sometime as well, though. She can't be getting down the whole time. I mean, you say that you knew about bees sleeping, but that was actually the first time that sleep had been recorded in an invertebrate. So, really? Yeah. So there are other invertebrates that do not sleep? There are other invertebrates since that we have recorded that they have periods of slowed down activity. Right. But bees are interesting because they actually go into a dream state and they have different stages of sleep, light sleep, deep sleep. REM? No, because REM stands for random eye, rapid eye movement sleep. And Obviously, we can't tell if their eyes are moving because their eyes are structurally different to ours. I'm sure if we looked close enough, we could. We could tell. Got a, got a strong microscope. <laughs> I mean, how we could have identify... got a tiny little pencil right. and moved it in front of the bee's eyes and said, "Just could you just follow? Don't move your head, but just follow this <laughs> around the room, like an optician would do." Uh, uh huh. Tiny little bee pencil. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're at, uh, it is quite hard sometimes for researchers to tell if a bee is asleep or not. Do you know why? It's because if they fall asleep inside a honeycomb, right? Mm-hmm. Inside one of the cells. If they fall asleep with their bum sticking out, they can't tell if their antennae are still going or not. And That's true. Yeah. Um, so if they've got their head sticking out, then they can tell. It's the same with you and the duvet sometimes. Well, if I'm sticking out the day. <laughs> <laughs> if you only have your bum sticking out, I can't tell whether you're asleep or not. Amazing. Well, give it a pinch and then you'll find out. I don't think that's respectful, honey. You are my husband. I oh. consent to you to pinch my bum. Great. Okay, onwards with bees. Uh, so they sleep for about five to eight hours at night because they can't go out looking for flowers then. Why not? Because it's too dark. They can't see them properly. Right, okay. They can see every colour except for red. How do we know? They tested. There was a um, person who tested them uh, in... I think his name was Randolph Menzel. I know how they... He's uh, another German. Did they use one of those colourblind charts and then they wrote, honey this way? No, no. He did an experiment where he um, put food on different colours and went and checked to see which colours they learned to go to more. And then... So basically... you uh, Thinking about it, if you, were, if you were working with plants a lot, um, working with flowers particularly, yeah. then you probably would need quite an acute... Colour, vision. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Well, there's an interesting thing about do bees dream in colour, but we'll get to that. So We might not, because I might steer this interview in another direction. Oh, man. You better not. So, a bee's brain. I'd like you to imagine a sesame seed. Cannot. What does a sesame... Oh, as (laughs) in on top of... For people who can't remember, I I had a problem just then, and then I thought of burger buns. Yeah, on the top of a burger bun. So, a sesame seed is the size of a bee's brain. Okay. They're also oval in shape. 
They weigh about one milligram and they have one million neurons, right? Um, how many does a human being have? 100 billion. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, we have I mean, loads more. Yeah, we've got loads more. But We've got the bees beat. <laughs> we've, we've beaten the bees on that Brain end. Power. But they, ha- they do actually experience neuroplasticity. I know what that is, I think. That's the ability to rewrite our brain and cut new paths, pathways. New neural pathways, yeah, Yeah. and to strengthen the synapses that we use more often. Yes, Um, those those neurons that fire together wire together. Quite. Yeah. So that is not unique to bees amongst insects. Um, There are houseflies that do that too. But what is quite interesting is as a bee learns, it also creates what are known as epigenetic memories, right? Which alter the ribonucleic acid, the RNA of the cells and allow their learning, what they learn, to be passed down through generations. So a bee's bee's (laughs) lifetime, obviously, can be like weeks, months, depending on when it's born, but the lifetime of a hive is much, much longer. So they write their memories into their, into their genetic, genetic structure. Material. Yes, they do. Yeah. So that the hive can remember things once they're dead. Exactly. <gasps> oh, it's amazing because, I mean, humans do that too. No, we do not. We you take that back do. about humans. The grandchildren of Holocaust survivors were found to have lower cortisol levels than the general population, which is a hormone that allows you stress to respond better to stress. Mm. Yes, mm. exactly. And uh, survivors of a Dutch famine, their great-great-grandchildren were found to have uh, lower levels of a hormone that allows you to process sugar. Oh, I read somewhere that there's certain... If, if people were uh, shepherds or something, a very agricultural uh, region, then the lactose intolerance is different intolerance is different generations down but that that feels like physical stuff that it feels like physical stuff but i mean in humans it's also carried over into um trauma so if a woman is traumatized then their children and their grandchildren um uh are more likely to experience trauma Anxiety. even if if the trauma happened while she was pregnant rather than when they were born cool so nature is awesome is what we're saying. La- nature and is really awesome. So what can this tiny wee little brain do? Um, it can adapt learned behaviours, including Pavlovian responses. Do you know what a Pavlovian response is? Yeah, it's like where you put two things together that aren't naturally together. So when Pavlov did the experiment with a dog, he made a bell ring mm-hmm. uh, mean dinner so that the dogs would sort of salivate when they heard a bell, so that they somehow wired together, bell means this, but he made that happen. Yes. So it's that's a form of classical conditioning, which is where you have an involuntary response and you associate it um, with a stimulus. Mm-hmm. But there's also operant conditioning, which is where you associate a voluntary behaviour with a consequence, like when a rat pushes a pedal and a little bit of food drops down into its bowl then right. it will learn that pushing the pedal means food which is a voluntary behavior so bees can do both operant and classical conditioned learning so what so can i they can learn faster than a dog which is interesting because you know people are often more fond of dogs than they are of bees it's true individually definitely they've got 170 uh, odorant receptors which are like tiny little smell receptors also a dog has never made me honey. True. I guess a bee's never made me honey. 
personally, I'm just, we've gone and taken the honey. One bee will make about a twelfth of a teaspoonful of honey in its lifetime. In its lifetime? Yeah. That's not much to show for it's it. It's really hard work. I'm going to feel much better about the fact I haven't written a book yet. <laughs> Compared with a bee. Compared with a bee. I'm just going to compare I mean, myself you, to you bees could find a bee on. that's written a book, I'd be very impressed. Comparably. Bee? Comparably? Anyway. <laughs> Eric the half-a-bee. Bisected so, Remember when I said about how... Um, Pinocembrin, that ingredient in honey, improves brain function. Wine? I'm thinking of it as some wine. Well, that's Pinot Grigio, my love. Okay. Um, anyway, or Pinot Noir. Yes. In the boudoir. There's so many different Pinots. Uh, Pinots. So here's, here's an interesting study. It actually came out of Iraq from the University of Babylon. So they tested 2,893 65-plus-year-olds. And then they split them in two. Half of them had honey every day. These aren't bees now. These are humans. The humans. I knew that because humans. of the 65 year thing. <laughs> yeah, okay. So of that group, 489 of them developed dementia because they're older, right? Mm-hmm. From the people who didn't have honey every day, 394. And from the people who did have honey every day, 95. What? That's a third. So honey, well, it's less than that. Well, it's like basically 400 versus 100. Oh, okay. More or less. Um, so that's pretty good. Honey is very significantly good. Well, that's statistically significant at reducing your chances of getting dementia and improving your memory and learning. A honey a day keeps dementia at bay. <laughs> a bay, a honey, uh, <laughs> just one one honey a day. Some honey a day, <laughs> a day. means about dementia. You can say, "Go away." Bees are actually quite similar to humans. In no, terms they're not. Of well, they they you know they communicate through dancing and things like that. The, oh, now the, the this famous is a, waggle the dance. waggle dance. Yeah, and only the most experienced bees get to do the uh, foraging outside the hive. So the waggle dance, just so that we're on the same page, is the ability of a bee to signal where they found a good load of pollen. Yeah, by using a dance. By using a dance. Which won't work unless they also smell a pollen. So they can't go in and be like, ooh, wiggle waggle, you follow me, food is here. And like, if the other bees smell that they don't smell like nice food, they'll call bullshit. Right. They will. It's true. But here's the other thing. If they consistently waggle and it goes in a slightly wrong direction also, they can't recruit other bees to follow them when they do their wiggly waggly dance. So they get known as having a bad sense of yeah. direction. Yeah. Do they get demoted? Do they become the <laughs> well the cleaners or whatever you said? And clean I mean the cleaners of the hive actually have a really important job. If something comes into the hive and it's a contaminant, they'll cover it with a special chemical known as propolis, which is a well they'll, they'll form they'll coat it in this thick hard shell so that it can't contaminate the rest of the hive. And they're very, very clever because, like, say, for example, there are spores of a fungus that come in. They'll clean that out. But if the fungus is not toxic, they'll remove the spores and not coat the area with propolis, which is like the cleaning slash protection agent afterwards. So they're really very clever. Anyway, but what's quite interesting is if you deprive a bee a bee of sleep, it then basically gets very stupid. They can't do things as well well that's true of us though right exactly if we don't so sleep we lose iq points well they've used 
studying bees and how sleep deprivation affects bees to look at how sleep deprivation might affect human society as a whole. Because if a bee starts getting sleep deprived and it then can't do its waggle dances properly, the whole colony suffers. And they've talked about how um, sleep deprivation in humans can affect our language uh, um, ability. And that also can affect our ability to contribute to society. So there are linkages between bee society and human society. So um, one of the things that they did, which I think is amazing, um, this is a this is a group um, who trained bees to have that Pavlovian response. So they basically fired a smell at them, a nice smell. Mm -hmm. And when the bees smell it, they stick out their little proboscis, right? Sure. Okay. So then they deprive them of sleep for a while. And then and they how do they do that? Tiny little bee alarm clocks. This is just so amazing. You're going to love this. <laughs> okay. So what they do is they put the bees in a fridge, right? right. So that they get a bit dopey because mm -hmm. they slow down when they get very cold. Then they attached little discs made of either copper or stainless steel to their backs really really tiny discs right then they colored them in orange so they couldn't tell which ones were copper and which ones were stainless steel nice uh-huh uh -huh. right then they put magnets in the hive right mm -hmm. so of course the ones that had steel on their backs were magnetized and it would jostle them awake huh? oh i see so that was two different it was control groups exactly yeah. and the copper ones that copper's not magnetic is it Remember I told no. you that copper would feature? You did. You did. And it you did. You put it back. And it did. And uh, So were yeah. bees like walking along inside the hive and it's like... No, they're, oh. they're trying to get to sleep and then they'd like wang a magnet past them and they'd all be like... <laughs> <laughs> and they'd wake... <laughs> they'd wake up. They'd be like, God, it's so Why is half the hive stuck to the south wall? That's <laughs> weird. So they don't normally go and stick themselves to the south wall. Well, I just think it's not fair. So this was from the University of Illinois that they did this. Okay. And then um, first the bees tried to catch up on sleep. So when they'd stopped pissing them off with magnets, they would sleep for a little bit longer. They would also doze off during the day, but that wasn't very good because other bees would wake them up. But then when they tried to get back to the hive, they would often get lost. They would dance as if they were a bit drunk. Oh, I'm really sad for these bees. I know. Because I feel like the hive thought they were stupid. And, and non-productive members of their community when really they had been hijacked. Essentially, they had been taken by an extraterrestrial force to the bee kingdom. Absolutely. And, and they're going around going, no, don't you don't understand. This weird invisible force keeps shaking me awake. And all the other bees are like, well, no, just knuckle down. Tell us where the pollen is. Something that I discovered as I was uh, researching to come on the show is that... <laughs> to come, on, to come on this show, yeah. yeah. Mm is that quite a lot of scientists who are involved in studying bees in order to save them feel extreme trauma at some of the experiments that they have to subject bees to because bees are so sociable and cute as a species mm. and so responsive and tactile and social. And helpful for the planet. And helpful for the planet and, you know. Generally great, yeah. Gen like if they were doing this on wasps, wonderful. I'd be like, yeah, fine. No, wasps are very important too. No. Wasps they, are pricks. They are the bin men of the planet. Sure. We'd be like ankle deep in rubbish if it weren't for wasps. But they, like beekeepers and um, 
bee scientists have even had cases of like mild PTSD from having to do experiments on bees. Mm. Anyway, so, but here's a nice thing, all right? So the bees who were eventually allowed to go to sleep in these little clear tubes, um, in one experiment, they farted this nice smell down the tube at the bee when they were in there? deep sleep. And uh, and their little tongues would stick out and then they would have that response even though they were asleep. And then during the day, they would test them again. So they would waft a smell. And the ones who'd had it when they were in deep, deep sleep would do the little tongue response. And the mm -hmm. ones who hadn't had the smell or had it when they were in a light stage of sleep wouldn't do the little tongue response. So, so that they suggests were programming that bees... bees during sleep. Yes. Sorry, you because were saying... sleep is where you consolidate your working memory and your short-term memory into long-term memory. Mm. Right? And that actually suggests that bees dream. And the researchers hypothesise that probably bees have very simple dreams. About honey? Like, that, yeah, they might dream of a particularly nice smell or a colour that they like. Mm. But then they will put that... Um, and this was from a study by a bloke called James Gould. They'll put that into a working mind map, a schema of the area. All of that thought. They've got the same working memory as birds. Five seconds, right? Where they can learn maps and things. How long? Five seconds. Oh, you cheeky boy. <laughs> How long? And, and they can retain memories about colours for three days. Um so they will consider things like what they've learned before, the geography, the risk before they act on information that they get from other bees, which I think is amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, I'm, I think bees sound like they're great. They I've so always cool. liked bees, though. It's yeah, me too. About them. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Um, there's that whole thing that bees shouldn't be able to fly. Do you remember that? Uh, what, bumble the bumblebee, bees. the aerodynamicism of a bumblebee. Mm -hmm. I mean, I must admit that that's kind of outside the field of my expertise. I am an expert on the honeybee rather sure. than the bumblebee. Bumblebees tend to be more solitary, okay. whereas the honeybee and, and its impacts... Wait, hold the phone. Are you saying bumblebees don't make honey? No. Okay, I just thought a honeybee was called a honeybee because they're the bee that makes honey. <laughs> There are many, many species of honeybee. And they, okay. And they have different personalities. Do bumblebees also make honey, though? I don't think so, no. What? My whole world has been shattered. <laughs> shattered, shattered. Well, there was a study in 2011 at the University of Newcastle that found that bees have different personality traits. Mm -hmm. So some of them are like thrill-seeking dopamine cowboys, and uh, they get very overexcited when they find a new patch of flowers and things like, like that. Whoa, totally... <laughs> exactly. Dude. And other bees are very sort of socially conservative and like don't like taking risks and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, this and I know that I'm sure that some of this is projecting our experiences of human society onto bees. But bees have always been an important part of human society. The Aegeans actually believed that bees provided a bridge from their world to the afterlife. And a lot of beekeepers have a very personal relationship with their bees, so much so that in many, many countries all across the world, bees are actually told about events that happen in the lives of the families who keep them. So you will tell a bee if you get married or if you have a kid or if somebody dies, you'll take them a present. 
And the idea is unless you tell them, they'll get grumpy and leave. Oh. Yeah. And do the bees ever, you know, give them presents back or yeah, turn up at the ceremony? Yeah, they give us this amazing food that can prevent you from going nuts in your old age. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> and tastes delicious and, and I believe is the only food source that doesn't go off. I mean, yeah, you can eat honey sort of a couple of hundred years after it's been harvested. And it's pretty good. Probably going to be pretty delicious. Uh, honey that was found in the tombs of the pharaohs was unsealed by uh, Egyptologists who probably should have known better, who tasted it and said that it was delicious. So, and then they all got killed by mummies. <laughs> the curse of the mummy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely not the honey. So, in conclusion, bees can have abstract thoughts. They yes. communicate using a symbolic language. They have advanced visual perception, neuroplasticity, which you know what that is. And they demonstrate decision-making and planning. So, like... That brings me to a question, I suppose, really for the listener. If I like we this. Know this that, is a new segment. If we Loz know that, asks the listener a question. Yeah. If we know all of this about bees, if we know what they're capable of, and that there is this sort of hive mind, which is is informed by that individual bee with its little sesame seed-sized brain, is it really ethical to use bees for these experiments? Should we be protecting them as if they were creatures like mammals, higher order mammals and primates? And is the hive uh, an animal in its own right if it can learn and change? Mm -hmm. Just not how we see an organism. Mm, like, as a, like as a gestalt entity. Yes. Oh. I mean, who, who am I to say? I don't know anything. I've just been talked at by someone who has just read about bees for an hour. I'm hardly an expert. No, no, you are an expert. Oh, thanks. In bees now, because I've told you all I about mean, it. It has been fascinating, and I'm sure the listeners will join with me in thanking you uh, for that wonderful uh, stroll down bee lane. Do you know, I really love bees. Mm. Have you always, or have you grown yes. to love them even more now? No, I, I've, I've always loved bees. But... Do you have an even higher appreciation of them? Yes, definitely. And we hope that you do too, dear listener. Thank you uh, so much. This has been another episode of the podcast, Instant Expert. Um, we will be doing this every Monday. So please come back. And, uh, and also, if you could possibly go to iTunes and write us a review. This, as we are a fledgling po podcast, this is the point that we most need your good thoughts and your good words. So if you have a moment to write a, a positive review, that would be lovely. If you don't like it and you want to write a negative review, my advice would be just just don't write a review. <laughs> that's much nicer <laughs> yeah, to do. Yeah, life's too short. Yeah. But if you like it, definitely write a review so that more people will find the show. Uh, all that remains is for me to thank my wonderful wife, Laura, for entertaining us. Thank you so much. Oh, and thank you for picking a brilliant subject that I really enjoyed learning more about. And we'll see you again next week. Bye. And that's our show. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at ixpodcast at hotmail.com or on Twitter or Instagram at ixpodcast. podcast.